0: Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. So once again, Psalm chapter 46, beginning in verse 1. And the word of the Sovereign Lord reads this way. God will help her when morning dawns. The nation rages, the kingdoms totter. Her, he utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation onto the earth. He makes war cease and in the end of, to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. The early church father, Augustine of Hippo, once wrote, Trust the past to God's mercy, the present to God's love, and the future to God's providence. So for many people recently, I think it has been one of those days. Have you ever had one of those days? (laughs) I think you know what I'm talking about. One of those days when, when everything seems to go wrong. One of those days when you realize getting out of bed was a mistake. One of those days when everything and everyone around you seems to be against you. I think we've all had one of those days. Well, that right there is the back story to the text that we're looking at today. You see, King Hezekiah, about 701 BC, was the ruler of the southern kingdom of Judah when the world's greatest army, the Assyrians, came and surrounded the city of Jerusalem, threatening to conquer all of Judah. King Hezekiah was really having one of those days because this was a very viable threat The Assyrian army, under the the leadership of Sennacherib, was the world's greatest superpower at the time, and they were rolling. They conquered everyone, including the northern kingdom of Israel, Judah's own people. And now that they had their sights set on Judah. So this was not a joke. This was a a crisis of epic proportion. In fact, the threat was so real that Hezekiah asked him, what can I do for you so you will leave me alone? And Sennacherib said, all right, I'll make you an offer that you can't refuse. Sennacherib replied by saying, give me 300 talents of silver or 22,500 pounds of silver, totaling today's money, about five and a half million dollars. And then he says, give me 30 talents of gold, which is about 2,250 pounds of gold, worth today about about $61 million. And then he says, I'll leave you alone then. Basically, give me 65 million bucks and me and the boys will pack everything up and we will go home and leave you alone, which is Astonishing, $65 million from a nation that is smaller in size than Kern County. But what's even more astonishing was the fact that Hezekiah paid it. He paid them off. He emptied the temple treasury. He removed even the cladding from the door, the gold cladding from the doorposts in order to pay this ransom. Hezekiah paid this this man off to the tune of $65 million. That is how serious this threat was. And all of Judah and Hezekiah was scared, and for good reason. The world's biggest bully, the world's biggest army, the strongest nation on the face of the earth was knocking on the door, threatening to kick it in and kill everyone inside. And so he paid it. But to make things worse, as with bullies always, it wasn't enough. He paid them, but he didn't get rid of them. The threat didn't end because they came back and the Assyrians, when they came back, they said, hey, we are here to conquer you and there's really nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do about it. And not, even, not even your God can save you. And so Hezekiah and the rest of Jerusalem felt like the whole world was, get, was against them, which basically was true. right? The majority of the known world had been conquered by the Assyrians and there was no one to help them. There was no one to come to their aid. So in essence, the whole world was against them. Everything and everyone was against Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, you may never have had an invading army surround your house, and you might not have ever had to pay a $65 million ransom, but I'm sure that you have felt at times in your own life that the whole world was against you. Like the time when all the circumstances of your life have piled up on you, and you feel them collapsing in around you. Or the times when you feel all alone, and it seems that you're that, that all the odds of everything around you are against you doing anything that you want to do. and Or those times when everyone outside just seems to want to be a, have a piece of you. Or everyone's mad at you. Every, everyone's angry with you. Or when it seems like everything you touch falls apart. Like everything that you're involved in, everything that you're working on just seems to, to go sideways. Or how about now? how the whole world has gone crazy, right? And you're going backwards financially, but you can't even go find work because of social distancing. And, and on top of that, the doctor won't see your kid with a fever because, because he's not showing symptoms of COVID. And your neighbor down the street is turning you into the sheriff because you forgot your mask, right? And then your teachers are piling up all the work that they're trying to get done by the end of the year, and they expect you to teach Common Core Mathematics And on top of that, you're out of toilet paper and you're out of bottled water and the car won't start. Have you had one of those days? Well, today we're going to talk about trusting God when you're having one of those days or one of those weeks or one of those those years. Because let's be honest, life is hard. It is. I mean, I think now the illusion of how easy life is has been kind of like shredded for us. And it can pile up on you in a hurry. It can feel like, like you are all alone and everything around you is standing against you. But hear me, in times like that, you can trust God. Even when you're having one of those kinds of days. Even when it seems like the whole world is against you. You can trust God when it seems like nothing makes sense. Which is what we've been talking about for several weeks now, going through this together. Trusting God when it doesn't make sense. And in the first week of what we've been doing together here is we talked about trusting God when we make a mess of things. That we can trust God even when we fall in egregious sin because we're saved by grace. Right, And in week two, we talked about trusting God to take care of us when we find ourselves in dire need because ultimately God's our provider anyway. And, and, then, and then the week before Easter, we talked about trusting God to carry us through the worst case scenario in our lives because God is still even greater than our worst kind of nightmares. Well, today we're going to talk about trusting God to protect us and keep us when the whole world seems to be standing at our door and is against us us. And like I said, Psalm 46 was written with the idea of overwhelming odds. That's the background of the text. In fact, the psalm was written in response to God's miraculously delivering his people from the clutches of the world's strongest nation. Psalm 46 was written to celebrate and tell the world about how they trusted in God through an incredible crisis and God delivered them. And it's actually an incredible story. In fact, one morning, uh, during that time, the Assyrian army woke up, and 185,000 of their soldiers were killed in the night by by the angel of the Lord. God single handedly turned the tide in this crisis, and 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 without those in the Jerusalem having to actually fight. And it's a great story. In fact, I would encourage you to read it. I, I encourage you to read your whole Bible, but this story in particular is relevant. Second Kings chapters 18 and 19. Right, it's only two chapters long, but it's really a great story. And it would give you a great and a deeper appreciation for, for what we're talking about today. So it's a psalm that teaches us that we can also, that we can trust God when the entire world is against us. And so with that context in, in mind, that background as a setup, let's look at the text. And, it, and I want you to notice how the psalmist sets this up. It reads, God is our refuge and strength, and a very present help in trouble. Right from the beginning, the author says, you can depend on God, and the reason why is, number one, God is our refuge. He's the place we run to when things fall apart. Number two, he is our strength. He is the one who strengthens us when we are weak. And number three, God is our present help in times of trouble. And I want you to notice, God is not just help in trouble. He is our present help in times of trouble. God is with us, present with us in times of trouble. The creator God, the one who is beyond the limits of your imagination, that God is with those who trust in him in times of trouble. And so right from the opening verse, we're told that we can trust God to protect us because he is our refuge, he is our strength, he is our present help in times of trouble. And then in verse 7 and 11, we see that God is also our fortress, right? Not only is he our refuge, the place that we can run to for safety, he is our fortress, our fortified position within which we can find security when all of the armies of heaven and all the armies of earth come against us. God himself is our fortified protection in whom we find safety and peace in times of trouble. And if that's all we talked about today, that right there should be enough from the text to encourage you in a time like this because right from the beginning we're told we can trust God to protect us you see the word pictures here convey the idea of a God who is actively powerfully protecting his people and those who trust in him we who trust in him can be confident that he will protect us now I realize it's probably a very elementary truth for those who follow Christ. right? It's one of the basic things I think we believe. Right? It's not a new revelation. Right? This is not a new teaching. But this is something I think that we need to fully understand. But also we need to live it out. Because there are oftentimes when, there when, when the world comes against us, we might intellectually know this truth, but we don't always live out this truth. Truth. We don't always trust God to protect us when everything is against us. Instead, sometimes it seems when we're in trouble and crisis finds us, we find ourselves panicking and worrying and even trying to to trust in other things rather than prayerfully trusting God to protect us and working things out. It seems that instead of understanding that God has promised to save us and provide for us, and as his word says, work all things out for our good— We lose sight of that truth, and we look for protection in other places instead. There are times when our circumstances are so dire that we feel like we need to trust in other things besides God, like money. We put our trust in money, trying to buy our way out of a bad situation, like Hezekiah. $65 million only to kick the can down the road a little ways. Or in our panic, in, in trying to find a way out, we get into a position, we end up trusting the wrong person or the wrong people. How many of you have ever trusted somebody who was the wrong person when you were in a bad situation? I know a family who had lost a loved one and one of their relatives was trying to convince the rest of them to take power of attorney so that they could have control and ease their mind. But really, they weren't after helping. They were actually after the assets of the estate. Right. They said they want to help, but, but really they just want the money. Sometimes we, when things get hard and find ourselves in really difficult situations, we end up trusting the wrong people. And, and the truth is, when we get into a jam, it seems like when, it, when it seems like everything else is against us, we tend to become very emotional and very panicky. Even those of us who claim to be logical and rational, we can become emotional in circumstances. I think men are really, really great at this facade. Oh, I'm not emotional, I'm, I'm rational. Let your team get beat by 75 points and see how rational you are. Well, it seems like their team has more points than ours. Never heard any man say that before, right? Or how about get a pink slip, you know, at your job? Oh, well, I've enjoyed my stay here. I guess they don't need my services anymore. That's not how we react, right? The the fact of the matter is, is we all can become emotional. And in our emotions, we can make choices and make decisions in order to take the pressure off of us that, that oftentimes make things worse and blow things up, Right? How many of you have been there where in your emotions you've made bad, rash decisions? Yes. You find yourself at a feud at work maybe, right? And it seems like this feud might even turn into something where you can get fired or at the very least cost you a promotion or at least some credibility. And then you begin to worry about it and you get upset about it and you ruminate on it and you think about it and and it begins to eat you from the inside out. And, And then you begin to feel like, man, I'm backed into a corner, and there's no way out. And, and you begin to think to yourself, I need to do something about it. I need to take action. I need to confront this person only to find that by walking in your own strength, you've made everything worse. They only thought that you were a jerk. You just proved that that, 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 that they're right. Or you get into a financial jam and you panic. And then you think the only way out is to get a, get a personal loan or, or to get a payday loan or start living off of credit cards. Or maybe somebody you know, you know, is just flat throwing you under the bus publicly, or especially on social media. And then you see it, and then you see all the likes, right? That other people are like piling on, and all the comments, and, you, and it, thinks, it seems like everybody believes what this person is saying, and you feel the urge to jump right into the fray and get online and make it nasty and go right back after people, even though that you know instinctively it's not going to make it better. Oftentimes we get into these situations where circumstances in our lives make us feel like the world is against us, and because of that, we often forget that God is the one who is our refuge. God is the one who is our strength. He is our present help in a time of trouble. We forget that we can trust him to protect us, and instead of that, we begin to trust our instincts, we begin to trust our money, we begin to trust our friends or our emotions and and many other things, and things go from bad to way worse. But the truth is, if we'll embrace the truth, is we can trust God to protect us and help us through all of those times. Because he is sovereign and in control, he is trustworthy, and he is compassionate. Now, he certainly might direct us to use resources. He can do that. And he might help us or cause us to lean on people and he might even call us to trust in our own instincts, but ultimately our trust needs to begin and be centered on and focused on him and everything else then is secondary because he is the one ultimately that's our protector. And then in verse two, it says, therefore we not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now the author of the psalm is painting a very graphic picture, a picture of an event that's beyond imagination, a picture of epic, gigantic magnitude. He's talking about a cataclysm here. He's talking about something that changes the world, an event that, that if it happens, there's nothing you can do about it, kind of like what's happening now around us. And what the author is saying here is when that happens, when these catastrophes happen, we will not fear. We won't be afraid. And it's not because because we're strong and fearless, but because God is our hope. He is our protector. He is the one we trust. He is our refuge and our strength. You see, we can trust God to protect us even under cataclysmic circumstances, like during earthquakes, because that's what he's referring to here. When he says the earth gives way he's, and, and the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, the author is talking about incredibly big seismic events like earthquakes. Kind of like last July, right? I mean, I think we all remember the Ridgecrest earthquake that affected so many people there, but it also affected us here. We felt it here. But even more than that, how about worse ones like like the Northridge earthquake? How many of you remember the Northridge one? yeah. Like, many buildings fell, freeways fell, and, and 100 miles from the epicenter was where I lived, and it still shook me out of, out of bed. And earthquakes can be really scary things, right? And, and the reason why they're scary is, number one, they're sudden. They come out of nowhere, it seems. And number two, earthquakes tear down the illusion of how stable our lives are. Because even the ground itself the ground that we walk on, the ground we live on, the ground we build our our homes on and drive on and, and live day to day, that ground in an instant can become unstable. And we can lose our footing as a result. That's the picture. There are things in our lives that we depend upon to be stable that in an instant can become unstable. Like, I don't know, the economy right now? You talk about something that's really touch and go. What, a, what an earthquake, when it, it, when it happens, what we realize is what's, what seems to be rock solid and stable ends up becoming something that can fail us, which is really the point. You see, when all is stable that fails, God is still stable. When all the earth caves under your feet, when all the earth shakes and so hard that mountains are thrown into the sea... When, when your save, savings account dwindles to nothing, when your entire world is turned upside down by a virus you cannot see, we can still trust in God because when everything else fails, he doesn't fail. That's the metaphor. When the things that you're depending on are stable, or seem to be stable, and the ground at your feet, whether it's your retirement your friends that you're trusting in, and every other part of your life, the company that you're depending on for your work or the government itself, when things around you that you're depending on fail you, you can trust in God because he won't fail you. That's the picture. And then the, and the next metaphor is about floods. Notice the language. Though the mountains be moved to the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Right. This is an image of a of an earthquake that's so big that that a mountain slides right off into the ocean. Well, when earthquakes happen and big chunks of land fall in the water, what typically tends to follow after that? Tidal waves, tsunamis, flooding. If there's another natural disaster besides earthquakes that can tear down our sense of security, it is flooding. Be it like a flash flood, be it... (coughs) Like a dam breaking or a tsunami, floodwaters have a tremendous power to wash away lots of things that we take for granted that seem to be stable. I think we've all seen the footage of the houses floating down a stream as floodwaters wash away entire houses. Floods can 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 move trees and buildings and rocks. It can it can move cars. It can rip complete roads apart in in minutes. It can tear out and erode sides of mountains. Again, there's a this is a picture of something that is beyond our control. But even then the author says that we do not fear. Why? When what is strong is washed away, God is still stands firm. That's the point when what you're leaning on, what you're depending on, when what you have built your entire life on is destroyed, you can still trust God to protect you. You can trust God to take care of you. You can trust God to work all things out for your good. Because when all else fails, God will not fail. When the stable becomes unstable, God is still rock solid, which means ultimately we need to place all of our trust in him. And then in verse four, it says, when the river Whose stream make there is a river, excuse me, there is a river whose stream make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Now this text right here is really full of symbols because Jerusalem does not have a river in the middle of it. Jerusalem is on a very high place, right? And It depends upon aqueducts and cisterns for water because it doesn't have a river running through it. And yet it says that there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God. It brings joy to the city. Well, what is the author talking about here? What he's talking about is God himself. God is the river. He is the one who's in the midst of them. He is the one who brings gladness to the city of his people because what is it that that, that rivers bring? I know that we live out here in the desert we don't think about these things a whole lot, but I mean, think about this. What do, what do they bring? Well, first thing that we, we can see is that they bring life. Whenever you see a stream of water, whether it's a big one or a small one, on both sides of the stream, you will see life like grass and trees and, and plants. Whether it's a big river like the Nile you can see from space or a little bitty trickle like Dub Springs out in Red Rock Canyon, you will always see growing on either side of it life. When you drive to Lake Isabella up the 14 and you turn to the 178 go west, when you drop in that Kern River Valley, you can see where the river is from the road because you can see all the life that's around the river. And and like the river, God Himself brings life. And the reason why He brings life is because He is life. He brings life to the city, He brings life to His people. In fact, Brothers and sisters, that's what salvation is. God brings life. God did not come into the world to make bad people good. He came in the world to make dead people alive. When you were a sinner... And in your rebellion, you were not a bad person. You were a dead person. The Bible says you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. You were spiritually dead. God did not come to clean up your behavior. He came to make you alive. That is the point what Jesus is saying when he says, if a person is to see the kingdom of heaven, he must be what? Born again. He must be made spiritually alive. And that's what God does. He brings life like the river. But God also, like the river, does something else. He brings purity. That's, a, that's an important thing about running water. Running water brings purity. Stagnant water ends up becoming contaminated. Running water brings purity because it washes away contamination. That's why you wash your hands and your dishes under running water. That is why it's better to drink out of a stream than it is out of a standing pond. Running water brings purity, and so does God. Not only does he bring life but he also brings a purifying influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is referred oftentimes to as a river. Right? When you put your trust in Christ, God not only gives you new life, but then he begins to work inside of you, cleaning you up from the inside out, progressively giving you the power over the sin that stains your life. When you are saved from the penalty of sin that's called justification, Right? you're justified by faith and in Christ. But then when God... When he does that, he's not finished with you. He continues his work in you. He comes to live inside of you, strengthening you, and progressively giving you the power to overcome the sin in your life. Progressively, he purifies you. That's what we call sanctification, which is God through the washing of the word and through the power of the Holy Spirit at work inside of you over time, slowly purifying you and cleansing you. God, like a river, brings life purity, but he also brings hope. Rivers have always been symbols of hope in those cultures and also in the Bible. In fact, what we see in Revelation chapter 22 is the hope of all of those who trust in Christ. It says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, brightest crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with the twelve kinds of fruit yielding its f- uh, fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for healing the nations. No longer will there be anything uh, accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and they, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will need no light or lamp or, or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. This is a picture of our hope. When we're finally saved from the presence and the effects of sin, right? That by the way is called glorification. We're justified through faith in Christ, we're sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit, and then one day we will be li- we will we will delivered from this world and be with God, that's called glorification. That is, that is our ultimate hope. So God is the river. He brings life, purity, and hope. And then it says, God's in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God, this river, brings life, purity, and hope. But he is also in the middle of the city, he, which means he is present with his people. And that's the reason why she shall not be moved. She will not be shaken and she will not fear. You see, we don't take courage and stand against all the odds and against the world without fear because our circumstances are not grave. We don't stand our ground in our lives without being moved because the odds are ever in our favor. We don't face adversity with, with, with courage because we're strong enough to do so on our own. No, we are not moved and we are not fearful because God himself is in our midst. God is with us. If there's a truth I think that we all need to remember, if there's a truth that I think we all need to hold on to, if there's a truth I think that, that all Christians should be rallying around right now is that God himself is with us. And then it says, God will help her when the morning dawns. You see, the very God that brings life, the one who brings purity and hope and isn't far off, he is near and he is in the midst of his people and he promises to help. He promises to help because he promises to never leave us or forsake us. He promises to work all things out for our good. He promises to provide for our needs. He promises to see us safely home. He promises to finish what he starts in us. We can trust God to protect us because he promises. And we can trust his promises. And then verse 6, it says, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. Or the other words, the nations are in chaos and the kingdoms are crumbling, which really is the history of all mankind nations rise up out of nothing become powerful and and they war against other nations and they become all-powerful and then they ultimately begin to crumble from the inside out throughout history one nation after the next has risen on the world stage and taken his place as the world's greatest superpower Egypt was the world's greatest nation at one point then it was Israel under King David and Solomon and then the Assyrians who conquered Israel and that they came against Judah and they were all then conquered by the Babylonians, who then ultimately conquered Judah. They fell to the Persians, and the Persians fell to the Greeks, and the Greeks fell to the Romans. And then later in history, it was the Spanish who were the dominant ones, and the French, and then it was Britain. And now in the modern era, it's the United States. The United States still remains, at this moment, the world's greatest superpower, but there are currently, as we know, nations that are rising against us, like China, China, they will threaten and they will rage and they will do what they can do to undermine us. And one day, please hear me, one day another nation will become the world's greatest superpower if Christ doesn't return beforehand, right? Because that's the pattern of history, right? There has never been a nation so strong as to survive its own success. God has never allowed a nation to survive its own glory. Why? Because God shares his glory with no one. No matter how powerful the nation is, no matter how great the nation has been, no matter who's in power, no nation has ever been completely sovereign. Because in the end, all things, including nations, will fall. Only God is stable. Only God is immovable. Only God is unchangeable. Only God is unfailing. In fact, it says, he utters his voice and the earth melts. Nations rise and fall through struggle and war and through decades and centuries of work and innovation and industry, but God has the power to melt away the earth with a word just by speaking it. In fact, the, one of the translations says it this way, that God's voice thunders and the earth melts. God is more, God's word is more powerful. God's word is more powerful than all of the greatest nations in history. And then in verse 7, it says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That is the God who is with us. The God who, who by his word can bring the entire universe into existence and by his word can melt the, the earth away. That is the God who is with his people. Which which really is emphasized in the next part of the text. Verse 8 says, Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation to the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. You see, what we see in this picture, what we see in this text is a picture of an unfailing, all-powerful, sovereign God. We can trust God when everything else is against us because he is sovereign. God has complete power. That's the picture we see in the text here. God is not moved. God's people do not fear when they're surrounded by on all sides because they, because their most powerful enemies is nothing compared to God. God is in complete control. God has power over all of creation. He spoke it into existence. He speaks and it says the earth melts. Even Jesus himself, when he was on the earth, he spoke and the wind and the waves obeyed him, proving that he's God in the flesh because he has the prerogative to speak over creation. God also has the power over the nations. In Job chapter 12, verse 23, it says, he makes the nations great, he destroys them. He enlarges nations, he leads them away. All nations, all rulers, all authorities are subject to his control. No matter who rises to power, no matter how great a nation becomes, God is still fully and totally in control, even now. God also has power over rebellion and war. Again, look at the text. It said he makes the war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the chariots with fire. There's not a weapon that is so powerful that God himself cannot render it completely useless. There is not a battle that God cannot end and there's not a conflict that is so far gone that God himself cannot turn the tide. In fact, the Bible, if you read it, is chock full of stories where God continually Helps his people face impossible odds. He delivers them from, from victory to victory. I mean, the story of Gideon is, Gideon is just one 300 men against thousands. And God routes the army. God has power over rebellion, war, and conflict. God's people have always been able to trust him, even when all seems lost, because God has proven time and time and time again that he is the one that's in control, which means nothing can withstand his authority. Nothing. Everything in all of creation, as we've talked about, is subject to God's divine authority. And as it's been said, there's not one molecule that's maverick. There's not a molecule in all the universe that is outside God's sovereign control, let alone a little virus. God is completely, totally sovereign. That is the foundation of, that is the foundation of the reason why you can trust in him. Because he has the power to do whatever he wants. He has the power to save. He has the power to provide. And he certainly has the power to take all of your circumstances and work them out for your good. We can lean on God. We can look to him. We can trust in him. We, when, when everything seems against us, we can depend upon him because he is sovereign and in control. And as we have said before, multiple times, we can trust God because he's completely trustworthy. And this text, we see that we can trust God because he is our present help. And I love the way the psalmist actually wrote this. Right? This is very interesting. When, when you get down into the weeds of the language, there's always a lot there. Right, Because he says that God is our very present help in trouble. This is important because I want you to notice, right? This word is important. It really qualifies the statement here. The word that actually gets translated into very is from the Hebrew word meod. And what this word means is exceeding, abundant, or even mighty. So in other words, this phrase can be translated as the Lord is our abundant help in a time of need or our exceeding help, our mighty help. You see, not only is God what we need, he's more than what we need. God, God, his help is abundant. God's help is exceeding. And and when we are in need, God is more than enough, is really the idea here. And have you ever thought about that When, when things go wrong, when you face the worst that life has to offer? Have you ever thought to yourself, have you reminded yourself that God is more than enough for you? Because he is. He's more than enough. Even the apostle Paul himself faced great difficulty. And even at one point in his life had a physical ailment and he asked God three times to take it from him and Jesus was like, "Nope. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient. It's enough." God and his grace is more than enough for you in your time of need. It's more than enough to see you through even now where you are. You can trust him because he's more than enough to help you. God is your very present help. You see, it's not just the fact that he can help you. It's the fact that he himself is with you. We see this. This is a repeated theme throughout this text here. Verse 5, it says God is in the midst of his people. Verse 7 and 11 says that the Lord of hosts is with us. In fact, the word Lord here, L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, actually is from the Hebrew word Yahweh. It's God's personal name. God himself is with him. The Psalm, psalmist is saying is God, almighty God Yahweh is with him. God himself is with us, which interestingly enough is a name Of Jesus. What is the name? Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel literally mean? It means God with us. This right here is why he came to the earth to be physically with us, not just spiritually, but physically with us, and to walk in our shoes and to identify with our frailty and to live the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, and to, to pay a penalty we couldn't pay. Christ, God in the flesh, came to be with us and to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, to rescue us from our sin. And more than that, the Bible We're told that that those who trust in Christ receive God the Holy Spirit and he makes his dwelling place within us. He is literally present within us. What an incredible, overwhelming promise that God is our very present help in need. Wherever you go, there's God. God promises to be with us and we know God is trustworthy because he keeps his promises. But more than that, God is also compassionate. Notice verse 10. Probably my favorite part of this whole text. It says, Be still and know that I am God. Ultimately, I think this is the heart of the matter. When the worst possible circumstances surround us when it seems that all the world is stacked against us, we are called not to panic, not to try to walk in our own strength, not to fear or worry ourselves sick. We are called to be still and to know that he is God. God calls us to rest In Him. That's what it means to be still. It means to rest. The Hebrew word for being still means to cease. It means to let go. It means to relax. The idea is really what to let go and and let God is, as Rick always reminds us by pointing at his tattoo, right? He always reminds us, let go and let God. I know we've heard people say that before, but that's really the summary of this text. Let go and let God we need to rest in him we need to trust in him we need to set aside our worries and our fears and our tendency to trust in ourselves and our own abilities and trust and and rest in God's sovereign power we need to trust in and rest in the fact that his promises are here to help us that that he is trustworthy to keep those promises we need to trust in and rest in the fact that he is compassionate and that he loves us that's the thing that you have to rest in. The fact that God loves you. I think that's the thing that gets lost when things are difficult. That's the thing that, that our emotions tend to overwhelm when it seems like everything is a train wreck, that God loves you. That's the truth that we lose sight of. When the world is falling apart, we need to rest in the fact you need to rest in the fact that God loves you. He loves fallen, broken, sinful you. In fact, we're told that God shows his mercy for those who love him. And that while we were still sinners, incapable of loving him back, Christ died for us. You were a broken sinner just like me. You deserved what you deserved because of your sin was death. You deserve an eternity in hell. What you deserve is for God to just leave you alone in your struggles with no help at all. With no refuge, no help, no strength. That's what we deserved. But while we deserve those things, Christ, because of God's love, died for us, demonstrating that love. The fact that God absolutely, unequivocally, without a doubt, loves you. I I mean, think about this. We're on the heels of Easter and reminded that God was pleased to crush him for you. He killed his own son for you. Jesus hung on the cross, bleeding in agony, dehydrated, suffocating, crying out to the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me for you? He loved you so much that he paid the ransom. He loved you so much that he paid the the price for you. He loved you so much that he took upon himself your sins and he suffered in his body the full, awful, and terrible wrath of God that you deserved. That's why even now, even in the midst of a world going crazy, you can still trust God. You can be still and trust God even though nothing makes sense. So when it seems the world around you is falling you apart, you can be still and know that God is God. And that God loves you. And that God who is all-powerful, He is with you and He is for you. And that God has promised to save you. That God has promised to provide for you. He has promised to work all things out for your good. And He has promised to protect you. So even now, when the world has gone crazy... You can be still and trust in God even when nothing else makes sense. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would drive this truth home in all of our hearts. That all of us, Lord God, would would stand in this, that we would walk in this, we would trust in this, we would depend upon this. That we, all of us, Lord, would 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 make this the the center point of our life, that we're trusting you. That as the governments do what the governments do, and as we can't figure out what's going to happen with the economy, and we don't know what's going to happen with our jobs, and we don't know what's going to happen with, you know, with whether or not there's ever going to even be toilet paper again. When we can't trust what's happening around us, we know we can trust in you. Though the earth might fall out from underneath our feet, though the floodwaters might wash everything away, though war might destroy our very lives, That we know, Lord God, that we can trust in you. We can depend upon you. You, Lord God, you are our salvation. You are our help and in time of need. You, Lord God, are what we love. You are gracious to us, Father. Father, we come before you and ask, Lord God, that you would strengthen all of our hearts, that you, Lord God, would rise up your people, that we would share the hope of Christ because that is the only hope this world has. Nothing is stable but you. Nothing is dependable but you. So Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd raise up this church, Lord God, that we would all love one another and care for each other and take care of each other's needs, but we'd also get busy getting out into the world, even with our masks on, and we would go tell people about Jesus Christ, and we would let them know that they can have a relationship with him too, and that God will be with them and for them and love them too. Father, we give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. And we are begging you, Lord God, restore things so we can be back together soon. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So with that, please know you are loved. You are very much prayed for, and you were deeply missed. We hope to see you very soon. Grace and peace.